Jesus said, Let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works, and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Every good endeavor is a gift from God. Here on Faith Marketplace Radio, you'll be inspired, equipped, and encouraged in your work as you hear business leaders share how their faith impacts their work. Joining us every Saturday at noon on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. For Faith Marketplace Radio, here are your hosts, Bob Lambert and Jennifer Villarreal. Hey, we're back here beaming out live from Chicago, Illinois, the center of the universe. Uh, you can hear us, by the way, on uh, both the podcasts uh, out there on AM 1160. They uh, stream this live also on our website at faithmarketplace.com. We have all the podcasts and the interviews for the last six years. Can't believe it. Well, I'd like to introduce you to my co-host, but unfortunately she took ill when we were about ready to get in stage here. So unfortunately I'm going to have to wing it today, and I'm going to have to fly this solo, so I hope I don't blow it too bad. But anyway, uh, we have a guest back that we are so thrilled to have back in studio because this guy is a rising star. Well, he's a superstar anywhere you go, but the fact of the matter is... uh, He's a native Southsider, and I'd like to introduce you to Dr. Nicholas Pierce, is one of the preeminently top-rated professors at Kellogg School of Management, founder and CEO of uh, Vocati Group, a global executive advisory firm, and an assistant pastor at Chicago's 1,500-member Apostolic Church of God. Welcome, Nicholas. Thank you, Bob. Good to see you again. <laughs> Good to see you again, too, man. I've been so excited because last time we had you on, the book was in works, but it hadn't quite been done. So we're going to get into that a little bit. I got to keep them in suspense about this hot book that's out that you've written. But why don't you uh, kind of give the folks a little bit of your background, background story? Did you grow up in a, in a faith-based, uh, you know, family? What happened with you? Absolutely, I grew up on the south side of Chicago and grew up going to church. Uh, the church that I currently serve, the Apostolic Church of God, is the church in which I grew up. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I've been serving in that church since the age of three. I was baptized when I was six and was called to ministry when I was seven years old. Oh, my goodness. I had no clue what exactly that would entail. Just had a deep sense of knowing that a significant part of my life's work was going to include serving God's people as a pastor. Wow. Uh, and continued to grow up in church, continued serving. Uh, and eventually was licensed and ordained after finishing school. And uh, now I've been serving as assistant pastor at Apostolic uh, for the last seven plus years. Holy smokes. Now, you wouldn't know it to look at this guy because he looks like he just came out of high school. I want to tell you, his age is not something you would expect out of a guy like this and all the accomplishments, too. My goodness. Well, let's tip on it a little bit here about uh, what's the what's the name of this book? The Purpose Path. The Purpose Path. And we're going to get into a whole lot of stuff on Purpose Path. But I also want to know that uh, you've been interviewed by a lot of folks. You've been in publications like Bloomberg's, Business Week, CNN, uh, Marketplace from Classroom to the Pulpit, you're saying, and all this stuff. How in the world, how do you triangulate all this stuff that you're doing? That's a a good question. Uh, A lot of people look at what I do as a professor or as a pastor or as an executive advisor in the marketplace, and they think about these as separate buckets. And so then people will say, well, how do you juggle all of these different buckets? And I understand what they're getting at because there is a lot of responsibility, Mm -hmm. but I don't compartmentalize it and partition it in the way that it may seem on paper. While these are three different domains of activity, I really look at this as one calling from God Mm -hmm. that plays out on multiple platforms. So 
a lot of the traveling physically back and forth from one place to another can get taxing. But I don't have to change hats very much. Right. Uh, I'm no less a pastor in the classroom. Right. And I'm no less a professor in the pulpit. Yeah. Uh, I don't leave that part of me in the parking lot when I go into a boardroom. Right. Right. I bring my whole self, and that allows me to show up in an authentic and, and integrated way, not hiding and masking parts of me, uh, but truly being able to bring the best of what I believe God has given me to be of service in any given moment. So does that come really from your ministry roots? I mean, when you became an ordained pastor, that you really saw that how you, you integrate these three things, or was it before that? All of these evolved in parallel. Uh, okay. I was appointed assistant pastor of our church just three months before I started on the Kellogg faculty. Wow. So this was not a sequential evolution. Mm-hmm. These things have been taking place in parallel in my life. Uh, so the integration and figuring out how to how to handle it all has been going on, and it's been an evolving work. At first, it was really a work of balance, and I was right. trying to figure out how to balance the two. Right. But now I don't try to balance the two as separate. I actually view them as well integrated. It's all ministry. Right. Some of that ministry is in the marketplace. Some of that ministry is in the church context. Right. Uh, some of that ministry is in the academy, but it's all ministry. And so it's allowed right. me to see all of these platforms that the Lord has entrusted me with, with a degree of integration. Well, obviously, the ministry at church is one thing because that's expected, and you can integrate, and you can talk about your faith, and all the rest of that. But these other two platforms, though, business platform, or you know, the consulting platform, and also your educational platform, a little different ball game and kind of world we live in. So, how are you, you know, getting through that, you know, and addressing that? I'm actually able to use some of the sensitivity around diversity and inclusion to my advantage. Okay. Because there are a lot of topics that used to be parking lot topics, like mm-hmm. gender, sexuality, race socioeconomics, et cetera, that never came into the workplace. Mm -hmm. If you look at this a generation ago, those were taboo topics that were best held outside the workplace. Mm -hmm. Now we're seeing ethnicity and race, Mm -hmm. gender, sexual orientation, documentation status, veteran status, disability status, all of these things that were once very personal and private now are making their way into the organizational conversation. And what I'm saying to leaders is that religion and faith should be right there Mm. because if you want people to bring their whole selves to work and truly show up authentically yet at the same time you're asking them to leave perhaps the most core part of who they are in the parking lot that's not going to work and quite honestly you should be glad that people are bringing their faith with them to work (laughs) because but for their faith and but for their sense of spirituality they may have been doing some really crazy stuff to some people at work but God has held them together, and so you should be glad they're bringing that with them every day. Do you get pushback at all from other groups, though? I mean, groups that are not religious or see this as being some kind of a um, co-mingling of uh, faith and, and, and work? Of course. Uh, there's always pushback, uh, and yeah. that is the nature of proclaiming the gospel and representing Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's always pushback. Uh, But I don't believe that there is a separation between God and state. There can be a separation between church and state Mm -hmm. uh, because you're talking one institution and the other. But God and state, you have no separation because as long as there are godly people in the state, you cannot separate God and state. As long as God is sovereign above the state, Mm -hmm. you cannot separate the influence of the Holy Spirit from the secular arena. So – 
I would argue that while the the call of the Christian is not necessarily to proselytize right. in the workplace and make people feel uncomfortable and condemn people, right. uh, at the same time, we are not to cover or hide or mask who we are in Christ, but instead, as Jesus said, to let our light so shine so that others will see our good works and glorify the Father yeah. in heaven. You, you got our theme here, buddy, Mark. <laughs> I love it. Five sixteen, and that's the theme of the show. Basically, is that's how right. we let the you know the light off the under, off from underneath the basket and let it shine for the glory of the Lord. Uh, you know, it really amazes is really interesting. I have a favorite pastor up our way up in Libertyville has Connection Church of Libertyville Multicultural Church, and Lamar Lark, and just I love the guy dearly. But you know, he said something that resonates with me as to what you were saying, and he said basically, why is it that this goes back about a year ago? Why is it everybody's come out of the closet except for Christians? That's right. And that really was profound to me because he's right. That's right. You know, and, and you know, why are we fearful? Why, why is that? Well, I think we have to acknowledge that Jesus Christ and Christianity have been used as weapons to oppress people. Mm-hmm. Uh, the church has done damage to people over the years in ways that do not necessarily glorify God and are not right. the greatest witness to the love and grace of Jesus Christ. So a lot of people look at the church as a, a an oppressive institution mm-hmm. and want to distance from it. But the reality is religion has made it into the workplace because we're even having conversations around how to make sure we acknowledge our Jewish colleagues when right. the high holy days come up. Right. Do we have accommodations for them? Do we have space for our Muslim colleagues to be able to pray right. without having to send them to the bathroom to pray in a bathroom? Right. Can we have a room for them to be able to celebrate and to exercise their faith? Do we tolerate Islamophobia? Mm-hmm. Right? Or do we have a reaction against that? And in many cases, we're saying, yes, we should be able to accommodate our Jewish colleagues, whether that's through kosher food or through giving them uh, space to be able to celebrate their holy days mm-hmm. for our, our Muslim colleagues to be able to provide a reasonable space for them to be able to pray in peace, uh, as well as to be able to take the days off that they need. Yet when it comes to Christians, everyone's like, wait a minute, uh, now you you name the name of Christ and it is offensive to me. And Jesus said this, right? So none of this should be really surprising. Jesus is the most controversial figure in human history <laughs> because sure the, the bottom line question is what will you do with him? Yep. Other faiths will say, yes, he existed, but what will you do with him? And there's one thing for sure, you can't ignore him. Yep, that's exactly right. You know, one of the, one of the questions, the burning questions I get into a lot is the, the distinction between religion and faith. And, uh, you know, we might tee this one up as when we come back because uh, it's, it, it, it's – people really rail at religion, I think. But when you start talking about faith-based or faith orientation, I'd like to get your opinion on that because that is one of these things that kind of is this, you know, juxtaposition thing all the time as to what's which and, and how do you frame that? Is, maybe is, is faith a new word for religion or something like that? So, listen, hang in there with us. I'm going to be back with Dr. Nicholas uh, Pierce here. We're going to be talking more about his book, Purpose Path. And, boy, I'll tell you, this is a barn burner. He sold thousands of these books already. I know people in business that are actually bringing them in to talk and help with their team. So uh, stay tuned because we're going to get back to this. But also this burning question of the difference between faith and religion. But listen, get out there and check us out on our website, faithmarketplace.com. We have all the podcasts out there for the last six years. We also have a donation button. That's how this ministry gets funded. Please go out there and check that out. And we're going to also 
have a giveaway that uh, Nicholas has been very generous in giving away something that I know you're going to want to know about. So that's going to be a big reason for you to get back here with us in just the next segment. This is Chicagoland's place to inspire, equip, and encourage Christian business leaders. Faith Marketplace Radio. Well, if you're just joining us again, I'm Bob Lambert, the host of this Faith Marketplace Radio. And in studio, I have my special guest, Dr. Nicholas Pierce, which is a top-rated, one of the top-rated professors at Kellogg Management School of Business, uh, also the founder and CEO of, of Okati Group, and uh, which is a global executive advisory firm and also an assistant pastor at the 1,500-member Apostolic Church of God. And one of the questions we left off with, and it's been kind of this little kind of tennis match I've had back and forth, is the, the distinction between faith and religion. What's your, what's your take on that? I think faith and religion are related concepts, but they're distinct. Okay. Uh, I believe that faith is an intensely personal and often very difficult to describe personal relationship with God mm-hmm. in the Christian context. And religion, on the other hand, is the cultural system of meaning-making that we have received and continue to share and pass down from generation to generation that helps us to understand how we live out our faith. Uh, I think a lot of people are saying, I want to have faith or I do have faith. I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious because they're suggesting that while I do have a degree of faith and spirituality, I reject the institutional church. I reject the institutionalization of religion, which has in large measure, uh, unfortunately, throughout human history been used to oppress others. Right. So people are looking at the relationship with God, but casting out the relationship with others. And I think there's some real harm in that. Mm-hmm. So uh, in that context, though, um, because there has been a lot of harm, there's been a lot of hurt out there in that thing. How do we how do we get around? How do we repair this? How do we get this back to kind of focusing on it? Because religion in the context of me, to your point, is institutional. You know, it's basically these institutions that we create. And then you got all the different flavors of it, too. And I think that kind of gets confusing, especially in Christianity, as it does with any of the major religions, right? I mean, you have the sex in Judaism, you have the sex in Islam, you know, going there. So I don't know that they're not having their conflicts also. So how do you how do you see how some kind of reconciliation, or how are we going to come around about this thing? Part of it is making sure that we keep the main thing the main thing. So many of us have been majoring in the minor things. We're focused on Lutheran, Baptist, Episcopalian, Pentecostal, (laughs) and quibbling over things that are theologically significant, but in the grand scheme of things, not rising to the level of importance that we need to be focusing on them as key differentiators. Uh, I think that if we can point people to Jesus Christ, Mm -hmm. to know the love of God, to understand and to experience the grace and the embrace of God, to understand the cross of Christ and what was accomplished for them at Calvary, independent of an ecclesial body, independent Mm -hmm. of a culture or a tradition or system, but to know Christ and to make him known. If we can focus on that, I think we will be able to see people recognize that if we are going to indeed be in relationship with Jesus Christ in a vertical sense, that the horizontal relationships with other sojourners along that path 
right. makes sense. Well, it becomes the body of Christ, really. I mean, when the first church, Acts Church, was really people collectively getting together as a body, right? That's exactly and, right. And taking care of each other and all that. Hey, you know, obviously through just the first part of this interview, you're very passionate about what you do. So why don't you tell us about uh, why you're passionate, who you're serving now? Well, the the opportunities that the Lord has given uh, to serve leaders in the marketplace, to serve our students at Kellogg, uh, and to serve parishioners in the context of apostolic and other churches around the country uh, has really been a blessing. Uh, what I am really most driven by is the desire to steward as faithfully as possible whatever resources the Lord has entrusted to my charge, mm-hmm. whether that is financial, whether it's my time, whether it is social resources in terms of relationships and network, or even in terms of my human capital, in terms of me being able to spend time with individuals and use my skills, gifts, etc., to encourage them down their path, to invest in them and to make them better, uh, and ultimately in the interest of facilitating human flourishing. So no two people are alike. And I have found, quite honestly, <laughs> that some of the things that I'm doing in the classroom as a professor right. require some of the same skills uh, as are necessary to be a good pastor, mm-hmm. uh, some of the same skills that are necessary to be a good executive coach. It's all about building trust. Right. It's all about listening and helping people to discover the voice of their own caller, right? And not having an agenda for them, not using them, not manipulating them, not trying to control them, but ultimately listening to them, asking the right questions at the right time, and being used as a tool in the hand of God to take them forward in the way that God would have them to go. It's all God's work. The question is, what platform? Yeah. What are some of the challenges down with the students? What do you what do you, what do you hear or common things that you you face down here. A lot of students are wondering about what this is all for. Why am mm. I alive? Right. What should I do about it? Why am I on the planet? Uh, a lot of students are wondering about capitalism mm-hmm. and is capitalism a sustainable system? Is the object of capitalism actually consistent with their faith traditions? We just saw yesterday uh, how the business roundtable. Uh, came out with their statement saying that the purpose of businesses or corporations is no longer just maximizing shareholder value. Right. It's a huge statement uh, for them to be able to say that we believe the purpose of a corporation has more to do with stakeholders and encouraging their flourishing than just acting as a fiduciary for shareholders. That's major. Yeah. That's a statement of purpose, not just activities and how to be more profitable, but it's stepping back and saying, do we know our why? Yeah. And I think that's one of the central questions that I not only face uh, when I'm with my students at school, but also people in the faith community context and some of the executives who I work with who are largely successful, right. but are still wondering after I've accomplished all these wonderful things yeah. and scored points on everyone else's scorecards. What is my scorecard? Yep. Am I scoring points on the scorecard of my soul? Right. What's my why? Boy, it sounds like a wonderful uh, subject for a book. 
<laughs> you know, you, you've crafted this well, bud, because, uh, you know, this, this your journey has really shaped all of the, you know, the culmination really is the book and then many, many other things that you're doing past that. The reason I'm asking that, Nicholas, is, you know, it, it's interesting because people, particularly you have in the classroom environment now, you are starting to understand what are on some of these young minds. Does that help you shape then when you're doing your work with executives to help them to understand that here's what's coming at you, this is where you're going to have to start making some adjustments and some changes and attitude and way you're doing things? No question about it. The students that I have the opportunity to serve at Kellogg are not just the MBA students who are in their mid to late 20s and early 30s. I also teach our executive MBA students who can be anywhere from their late 20s into their 40s and sometimes 50s. And I teach executives who are from a variety of corporations, nonprofits, governments, and faith communities who are often in their 50s, 60s, and 70s. And interestingly, Bob, I've discovered that a lot of people across the generations care about the same things. Yeah, they do, don't they? They care about, is my life counting? Mm -hmm. What is this for? They're trying to figure out, am I making the most of whatever I've got? Uh, And so I often encourage people to think about If you were to be Googled in 30 or 40 or 50 or 60 years, what would you want them to say your life was about? Um, What was the net impact of the fact that you were on the planet? Uh, And ultimately, that's something that no one can craft for you but you. Well, it's interesting, too, because, you know, when you really get to it from a biblical standpoint, when when you're up there standing in front of the Lord at the beam of seat, and uh, what do you want to hear? Uh, and one of the things I want to hear is, well done, good and faithful servant. Look what you brought me, and I'll have not have a clue to it. But the other thing that scares the jeepers out of me is how many of the gifts are sitting on the shelf that I didn't open up right. you know, to use? That's exactly right. And some yeah. of them we don't open up to use because we're scared of them. Right, exactly. Or because we don't have other people around us who have used those gifts. Yeah. Or because we think that those gifts are inferior gifts. Mm. And we play into the narratives around haves and have-nots, even in the yeah. faith context. And I think those things really inspire a sense of fear and pride that ultimately derail us from doing and being all that God has called us to do and be. I love it, man. Well, we're talking about some of the challenges with the students. What are some of the challenges with the executives? A lot of the executives that I'm uh, encountering are worried about what to do next. Mm. A lot of people are trying to figure out how to pivot. They're trying to figure out how do I get from point A to point B? I've been stuck on autopilot. Mm -hmm. I'm doing the right things, I hope. Certainly my company is happy with them, but now looking at myself in the mirror, I'm starting to wonder whether or not my time has passed. Mm -hmm. Is my life going to count for something more than just making a check? And certainly getting paid is important. I'm not suggesting that we should all be working pro bono. At the same time, people are recognizing that they're made for more. And because many organizations and leaders are complicit in the diminishment of people, reducing us to the value of what we can produce, making us human doings and not human beings, it's a real leap for people to ask the question, what should I do next? And how can I make this a strong, intentional, purposeful step? Well, we got a good book for him called Halftime. Have you ever read that? Bob Berg's book, and then stuck in halftime and then finishing well. And uh, I have to tell you, it was very profound for me when I said I actually went through this, some of their program. And I think that you're absolutely right. And this goes back a de- well over a decade ago that I was asking it from success to significance. And I think that's a lot of what people are asking today and should be asking. That's know, exactly right. Term. Well, listen, we're going to be right back with uh, Nicholas Pierce and hear more about uh, – I saved it for the last, folks, his book. But we want you to go out there and text 224 404 1988 with the word purpose 
And Nicholas has agreed to give one 15-minute Purpose Path coaching personally from him. So we want you to get out there again and text 224-404-1988. And the keyword is purpose to get a 15-minute coaching uh, purpose Path Coaching from directly from Dr. Nicholas Pierce. Now, listen, the other thing we want you to do there is um, this station has been phenomenal for us, so I want you to really plug into WYLL. we got some fantastic speakers. we got fantastic programs on, and they have the best staff here on the planet. I have to tell you, i got to give a shout-out to our producer. We've been with us for six years. Debbie back here. She does an outstanding job. We'll be right back. This is Chicagoland's place to inspire, equip, and encourage Christian business leaders. Faith Marketplace Radio. Hey, we're back here with Dr. Nicholas Pierce, a top-rated professor at Kellogg School of Management. He's also CEO, CEO of Vocati Group, executive advisory firm, and also a pastor. Hey, listen, Nicholas, when we left off, we talked about people texting in and getting a, a session with you. Uh, what kind of, the people that we're talking about here? We're not talking about just business leaders. It's could be students, small business owners, just somebody sitting in a cube, right? Or somebody in ministry, or somebody in not for profit. Would that would that be who somebody could be that would win this? All of the above. Any of these individuals uh, would be great candidates to have a fifteen minute coaching session around the purpose path. The idea is that if you are asking the questions of why I'm on the planet and mm-hmm. what should I do about it next. Uh, and trying to make a life that is not just important and successful, but significant, this can be a conversation for you. If you're finding yourself at a pivot point where you're dealing with a degree of discomfort about where you are and what you're doing, and you feel like there's a disconnect between what you're doing with your days and what you know you're called to do with your life, perhaps this could be a really great gift uh, in this pregnant moment of transition to see what God might have for you next. Yeah, and, and as you said, there's a lot of people asking this question. So it's really for a lot of people out there that are listening to this uh, and listen, hopefully, the podcast after this and everything else is to, you know, hey, yeah, that, that's me. And I think that's a lot of people out there, to be honest with you. You've tapped into a real sweet spot. And well, I've been holding back on this, so we're going to get into this. We're going to do a deep dive here, folks, on Nicholas's book because I'm so excited uh, to have him here, number one, and the success he's having in this. We've had a number of people I know in the business community that are inviting Nicholas in to talk to their teams. Uh, he's selling a lot of books. So why don't you tell us what, the, what started all this? Because obviously we've been building up a little bit to it. And then what are they going to see in this book? I don't want to give the book away, but give them some highlights. Sure. The Purpose Path is a guide to pursuing your authentic life's work. Okay. And it started really as a result of a series of talks that I had, I had been giving across the world, uh, going into audiences of corporations and nonprofits, even some universities and other schools, and recognizing that this question of vocation was one that was gripping everyone's attention. The idea of vocation is more than a blue-collar trade or craft job. Though there is nothing wrong with a blue-collar job, uh, nothing wrong at all. I remember my great-great-grandfather, who barely was able to complete a second-grade education, who did not have the same luxury of asking, what do I want to be when I grow up? So this is not a class-divide conversation. This is simply saying vocation is bigger than that. It comes from a Latin word meaning calling, Mm -hmm. right? And so the, the question becomes, Am I just pursuing a career or am I actually living out my calling? And having that conversation with people around the world uh, 
helped me to recognize that there was a book that needed to be written. It was really an assignment from God. I did not have writing a book on my bucket list. Uh, trust me, I have enough going on. I have a toddler at home. Uh, this was not something that I felt just that was going to be a great idea. It was really a call from God to be able to stand boldly at the intersection of faith and work and speak to people regardless of what walk of life they're coming from, to say you're made for more than being on autopilot. I know that you may feel stuck and trapped in your own life because you're just going, going, going. You're doing, doing, doing. And there comes a moment in all of our lives where we ask, what is this for? Mm -hmm. And I wanted to be able to give a contribution that would help them to see a path forward what to do with that consternation and what to do with that uncertainty and even some of the fear of what if it doesn't work out or can I really take this leap? This is not a conversation just for the Ivy League few who have enough money squirreled away uh, to be able to afford to just quit their job. This is a conversation that people literally every day, even on Instagram, are writing me, telling me these ideas are changing their lives. And so I'm just grateful to the Lord that a 60,000-word book of a couple hundred pages put together is actually able to be used of God to transform someone's life and their trajectory. Well, you know, it's something, you know, timing is everything, and I think God's timing is infinite, you know, from the standpoint of what it is. And I think you're right on because there's big issues that we've seen out there, a lot of surveys of disengagement with employees and people just leaving jobs. I mean, there's more jobs now there are people to fill them and all that kind of stuff. So you you feel a holy discontent out there. And I'm assuming that you, as you traveled and all the rest, what other influences that were on you when you started looking at this? I mean, maybe some of the research or other books you've written that kind of helped you along the way. This was my first book. Uh, And really, one of the other key influences was my own story, Mm. Uh, recognizing as a sophomore at MIT studying chemical engineering that after a lab experiment one day, I recognized I didn't care about chemical and biological systems as much as I cared about people and organizational systems and really starting to think about how do I take my education and not just use it to prepare me for a great career that could be lucrative and help pay the bills, but how do you use your education to prepare you for calling, right? And so thinking about that was really one of the first steps, thinking about some of the trade-offs I've made in my career to make sure that I'm able to be faithful to what the Lord has called me to do pastorally, professorially, and in the marketplace. There have been some status trade-offs. There have been some compensation trade-offs, but I would not give it back for a single day. Uh, There are other things that people would say, oh, that's not success. You could have had X. You could have had Y. You could have had Z. But ultimately, I recognize that you're not playing for them. Right. Uh, Exactly. You've got to reconcile in your heart that (laughs) God's approval is the voice that matters most. That's the only approval. That's the only (laughs) approval. You know, as, as the scriptures say, uh, when you make it to the, to the judgment seat, you want to hear the Lord say, well done, you good and faithful servant, uh, not well done by someone else's scorecard, uh, right. but not mine. 
Right. You would hate to hear God say, yeah, you right. did well by others, but I do not know you. Right. You want to hear God say, you did well by what I assigned you to do. So just a couple of quick glimpses as far as chapters that are covered or just headline things. What, what would those be? Sure. Well, I was grateful to be able to partner with Parker Palmer on the foreword of this mm. book. And Parker okay. is an amazing thinker. He's written several best-selling books, including Let Your Life Speak. Mm-hmm. And one thing that Parker talks about quite a bit is this idea of living an undivided life yeah. where you're not partitioning yourself, but you're truly being a high integrity person. And by high integrity, that doesn't just mean not stealing the pins out of the supply cabinet. <laughs> high integrity is truly being whole, being integrated, being an integer, one, being at one. Uh, and that that idea has truly permeated the book. I don't think of calling and vocation as a destination as much as a journey. Journey. Right? right. And it is, as Parker would say, not a goal to be achieved, but a gift to be received. That's so great. instead of giving a bunch of prescriptions and a multiple choice quiz at the end to circle your purpose, what I lay out is a series of five questions that we can ask at various points in our lives, whether as graduating students, as young professionals trying to trajectory set, right. as mid-career professionals trying to pivot and reorient, or even people who may be in their third third of life right. who are saying, I'm 65, I'm 70, I'm 75 years old, but I still have vitality. My brain works, my body more or less still works, uh, and <laughs> I may have another 10 or 15 or 20 or 30 years left to live. Right. How do I make those years count? Yeah. Uh, as the famous quote often is, is stated, uh, it's not about the years in your life that count. It's the life, life in, in your, your years. years. Yep. Right? And so the conversation is as applicable to someone who's 95 as someone who's 25. Yep. Well, I know that you're getting like them. So you've been on a whirlwind tour with this book, haven't you? How many cities and, and speaking engagements have you had since you broke with this thing? Wow, Bob, God has been incredibly kind. Yeah. Uh, the Lord has opened doors for us to be able to preach in churches of yeah. all sizes and all denominations. Uh, from California to Boston. Wow. Uh, I've been able to spend time in Fortune 500 corporations having conversations in <laughs> Silicon Valley, uh, conversations here in Chicago, conversations in Dallas, Texas, right. uh, Los Angeles, Denver, Colorado, wow. uh, Houston, Orlando, Boston. We'll be having a major event on September the 10th. Uh, in New York City, tickets are still available, by the way. Um, uh, this event will be held at the headquarters of the National Basketball Association. Wow, NBA. Uh, awesome. Yes. Congratulations. And That's thank great. You. Thank you. So we are literally uh, going from coast to coast and as many cities in between uh, because we're finding this conversation is one for which people are really hungry. And I'm willing to do whatever I can to. So how are they going to find the book? How they get? To, is it on Amazon? Where are we going to get this book? The Purpose Path is available wherever you purchase your books, okay. whether it's Amazon.com, whether it's an independent bookstore, whether it's Barnes and Noble, wherever you buy books, hardcover, ebook, or audiobook. Well, listen, the, what we want to make sure you get out there and do is uh, Texas at 224-404-1988, and the word uh, purpose is the keyword out there, and Nicholas has agreed, boy, I'll tell you, whoever wins this one's going to get a lot. Nicholas has agreed to give one 15-minute Purpose Path coaching session. You want to take care of that. He's going to pack a lot into 15 minutes, I guarantee you. Hey, one of the questions we asked, and I thought was kind of curious, uh, I hadn't given the chance to ask you this the last time you were on, is uh, 
What's kind of a cool, interesting thing that maybe people that you know don't know or even our audience isn't going to know about you? What, what, what would that be? Uh, one thing that some may not know is that I love playing the piano. Okay. Um, I have a piano in my home, and in fact, I was classically trained. So really? wow. Yes. So uh, playing the piano for me uh, is a moment for worship. It allows me to step back and silence myself and still myself and pour out my heart to God and listen back for what the Holy Spirit is saying to me in a way that is tough to describe. So how are people going to get a hold of you? Any way they'd like. Uh, <laughs> social media, yeah. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at NAPPHD, or you can visit my website, which is Nicholas Pierce, N-I-C-H-O-L-A-S, P-E-A-R-C-E dot org. That's fabulous. You guys have got to get out there. I'm telling you, he's the real deal. And uh, you just you see him lighten up here in studio when he talks about this stuff. He is passionate and he's on purpose for everybody. We're going to be right back with Nicholas for our next segment where we're going to roundtable a subject. Do you maintain a healthy balance in your life and work? This is Chicagoland's place to inspire, equip, and encourage Christian business leaders. Faith Marketplace Radio. Hey, we're back here with our guest, Nicholas, Dr. Nicholas Pierce. And we're going to roundtable something out of uh, Proverbs for Business, one of our favorite books. And the subject is, do you maintain a healthy balance in your life and work? Now, Nicholas, you want to reframe this a little bit, don't you? I think that the question of work-life balance is an important one, but is often misleading for people because it suggests that in one hand you have your work and the other hand you have your life and you're trying to balance the two. And for most of us who are not independently wealthy, <laughs> we're going to spend 40, 50, 60, 70, maybe even 80 or 90 hours every week working. And I would hope that we would be able to say after all those hours spent working, that what we did every day was actually a part of our lives, that right. it was not some separate out-of-body experience, <laughs> but it was part of our lives, that we used our lives in service of something greater and bigger than ourselves, whether we are building buildings, whether we're cleaning offices, whether we are doctors, lawyers, engineers, professors, pastors, radio show hosts, whatever it is. <laughs> Um, that what we did with our work was actually emblematic of the grace that was on our lives. Yeah, and doing it with excellence, as God no calls us to do. No question about it. Because work is ministry. And I think that one of the things that, again, we've been singing this song for quite a long time, is that unfortunately, um, and I want to make a broad generalization here, but it's not preached from the pulpit, is it? That well, work is glorifying to God, and it is ministry, a form of ministry. Some have the limited view that ministry only takes place within the walls of a church. Yeah, uh, It's a very priestly view that we stand in the church. If you build it, they will come, mm -hmm. and we will be able to then intercede with God on their behalf. We mm -hmm. will be able to represent the people to God. But now, uh, when not as many people are darkening the doors of the church, uh, we recognize that the church is being thrust into a season of prophetic significance where we cannot just wait inside and intercede on people's behalf to God. We have to go outside the walls of the church yep. and speak on God's behalf into the culture, which means then that where people are working is not just an incidental 
way of earning a wage, but it is actually a God-given assignment and a mission field. What I have actually discovered is that quite often the ministry we have in our workplace is about the people with whom we're working. Absolutely. Right? And so if we are able to reframe work as not being a distraction from the things of God, but being a way to live out the things of God beyond the walls of the church, I think we'll have a much healthier view of it. Yeah, I agree with you. You know, one of the things that it was, again, when we talked about this a little bit, was the integration. Like you said, you're running these parallel channels, and then I asked you, you know, uh, you know, how'd you get it? How, is it there yet, or are you accomplished now? And you said what? <laughs> this is a work in progress. There you go. <laughs> uh, this is not a situation where you kind of press a button and you have accomplished uh, optimal work-life integration. Right. Uh, this is a situation that you have to constantly attend to. Things change. Mm-hmm. Family conditions change. Work conditions change. Your own personal self-care needs may change. You're, right. We're all one diagnosis, one mm-hmm. text message, one email, one phone call away from everything that we thought we were getting ready to do today changing completely. Yeah, boy, right? said that's profound. Right. Yeah, so absolutely. this is not about having to having the opportunity to set it and forget it. It's really just keeping a constant eye on it. So purpose path, does this accomplish some of this, you know, this this question about the balance thing and, and how you integrate? In the purpose path, one of the questions that I pose is, am I running the race well? Mm-hmm. Uh, some people will say, well, am I running the right race? And that is a question that the book tackles. Am I doing the right things? Am I connecting sure. my soul with my role? Right. Uh, but then the next step is, am I running the race well? Mm-hmm. Some people will say, well, impact is all I care about, but at what expense? Right. Are you doing the right things the right way? Are you a public success, but a private failure? Uh, right. Boy. Are the people beyond the, the doors of your home celebrating you and loving you and putting your name in lights? But the people inside the doors of your home, are they hating you and despising you and ultimately resenting you? You can mm-hmm. be publicly successful, but be a private failure. And I would argue that while the world applauds, God is looking at your stewardship of your home. Right. Uh, so it's all of the above. It's a both and not an either or mm-hmm. yet in the purpose path. One of the the key points that I make is making sure that you're not just letting your best and highest values guide how you do your work, but you're letting your best and highest values guide which work is yours to do in the first place and then how you live it out. Yeah. In the tours that you've been doing the book, because this is really profound stuff, it's having quite an impact. I think you... God has blessed and ordained this thing at this particular time. We've needed this desperately. Uh, in the companies that you have gone into and in the groups, what kind of feedback are you getting? I've gotten quite a bit of positive feedback. Uh, there are some people who, interestingly, Bob, came up to me afterwards and has said, uh, I was afraid to open your book. Mm. Um, I didn't want to open your book, not because I thought there was something wrong with it, but because I knew that once I saw what you were saying, I couldn't unsee what my heart saw. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> right? I could not undo right. the work that was happening in my heart and soul. And so I've seen people literally quit their jobs the next day. Wow. I've really? seen people wow. start businesses. I've seen people sign up for school. I've seen people go on retreats, silent retreats to be able to meditate and pray. And these are all wonderful next steps. Um, The feedback we're getting is that this is a book that is as timely and as timeless as any. uh, And I'm just 
honored uh, to be used by God in some small way uh, to point people to him in the pages of the purpose path. Uh, what would you say would be any similarities whatsoever to Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren and what you've produced? The Purpose Driven Life has had a shelf life that is unrivaled. Right. I think the Bible is about the only book <laughs> that has done better than this, longer than this. Uh-huh. Uh, what Pastor Warren has done is irrefutable and indisputable in terms of how it has put purpose on the map. Right. What I've attempted to do uh, is to ask a set of questions that uh, draw on the expertise that I bring as a professor in one of the top five business schools in the world, but also a pastor in one of the most influential and largest congregations in the city of Chicago and stand at that intersection Mm -hmm. as a credible business leader, as a thought leader, and as a spiritual leader and have the conversation all at once. Many books, many leaders uh, are able to have the conversation from one lens not necessarily all three at the same time. And so what I've done is not to be in competition with any other person's work because they did what God gave them to do for their generation. I just know that this was my assignment for now, and I celebrate the fact that I'm standing on the shoulders of others. Yeah, absolutely. And I'd say it's an update. I mean, I think what you've done is you triangulated things and put it in a different context than what uh, Rick Warren did. And uh, you're right. I mean, that's a seminal piece of work. And in my heart, in my soul, and hopefully, God, you're hearing this, I think this book is also going to be that seminal piece of work. This is really going to be uh, very impactful around the world because people are asking this question all the time. That's right. Uh, you know, the, the, uh, the, the biggest need is the need to be heard and the be, need to be understood, you know, and to ask that question and to try to understand what is my purpose? What am I doing? I can't believe we're out of time, Nicholas. This has been fabulous. I'm so thrilled that you came on the show and blessed us with your presence and telling us more about your book. Anyway, listen, we've got every Saturday, noon to 1 o'clock here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. We hope that you'll join us again next Saturday at noon. Uh, for another edition of Faith Marketplace, how we're inspiring, equipping, encouraging Christians out there in the marketplace to lead where they're at by their walk, not the talk. As Nicholas has demonstrated, once people are walking that purpose path, it shines through and people see that, and that's the glory of God. You know, Matthew 5.16 is our scripture here, and uh, he so eloquently uh, you know, said it earlier. We're looking at that. How are you really shining in that path out for the glory of God? Also, we want you to go out there and text uh, the 224-404-1988 to get one 15-minute Purpose Path session with Dr. Nicholas Pierce. We'll be back next Saturday. Thanks for joining us for Faith Marketplace Radio, here to inspire, equip, and encourage Chicagoland's Christian business community. Faith Marketplace is on every Saturday at noon, right here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Listen to past shows anytime online at faithmarketplace.com.